You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Who who was at camp last week? Church camp? Whoa, heaps of people. Church camp was epic. It was fun. It's crazy with little kids. Um, I don't know if I talked to anyone, but uh, just chasing them around camp the whole time. But church camp was awesome. Who was at Northwest service last week, the combined service? Awesome. You got a bit of a sleep in, so I guess you're a little bit more kind of upbeat and ready. Pastor Keith, I listened to that message that Pastor Keith preached at Northwest on the podcast. I encourage everyone to go and listen to it. It was a phenomenal message. And uh, we are actually kicking off, or last week was the kickoff to a brand new season in the series that we've got. It's season two, episode two of The Father's House. Episode, uh, season one was Belong. Uh, being the community of God and how we can influence and grow and just spread the good news of God through the community, through being a people that are a family that allow people to belong and find their fit. The world will know that we are His followers, that we are His disciples. And so that was season, that was season one, I'm going to call that season one. Season two that we're in now is build, building the kingdom of God. Building the house of God, building people's lives up around us, building things in the city. I don't know what you're building, um, but it's fun building stuff. Who likes building? (laughs) Some builders in the house, yeah? Cool, cool. I think Jerry Seinfeld says this funny thing. He's got this funny joke. You know how guys are just attracted to people building stuff? Like there's a guy, you, you might hear a, a saw, bandsaw down the street or some sanding or something and, and the guys just love to go for a walk down. They just want to see someone building some stuff. They can't help themselves. They feel like they're a part of the construction if they're watching it. They're just like, yeah, and they give little pointers and tips. I mean, there's woodworking shows and all these kind of things everywhere. And Jerry Seinfeld says that's exactly why they have to put those little holes in the barricades around construction sites. Because the guys need something to like, they need to have a look. They need to check it. Otherwise, they're climbing over. They're going over the barricade. They need building. God has called us to be builders. God has created us to be builders. And uh, just to give a little bit of a recap, we're in the book of Nehemiah for this series, this season. I'm getting everyone confused. I'm sorry. We're in the book of Nehemiah, which is a Great book. It's awesome. Who's, uh, who's been enjoying Nehemiah? We had an awesome kind of at church camp. Uh, Pastor Nate and Chris Winders did an awesome job of kind of leading into the book of Nehemiah. And I just want to give us a quick, a tiny, short, quick kind of context of where we're at in the story. You know, before the, the, the TV series, they give you like last week on the episode, you know, last week in suits. Uh, I'm just going to give you a quick snapshot of where we are at contextually in the book of Nehemiah. So just to give you kind of the broad scope, the Israelites have been displaced. They've been in exile. They've been run out of their city. People have been killed. They're they're scattered. They're everywhere. And they are now under the rule and reign under the Persian Empire. They're under a governmental structure that is not of God. People of God are scattered. Things aren't going as good as they used to be. The walls in Jerusalem are destroyed. Things are kind of their, their, their hope, their despair. Things just aren't good. And they're under the Persian Empire. And, um, and they're, 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 we come to this guy called Nehemiah. 
And we zoom into this moment in history with this guy called Nehemiah. And we know that he was the cupbearer to the king. And a cupbearer, for those who don't know, um, is not someone who carries a large cup on their shoulders. Um, no, that, I mean, that wasn't funny, right? But a cupbearer, a cupbearer was a highly esteemed job. It was highly esteemed. Uh, Nehemiah, he was high up in the ranks uh, and he was quite intimate with the king, the king's family, because he had to wait on them hand and foot. He was kind of like their butler. He was the cupbearer and he could enjoy the palace. He enjoyed the grounds, serving under the king. I mean, he was in a pretty good spot as far as the Israelites went. He had a pretty good job. Not many people could be a cupbearer. And the cupbearer would serve and wait on the king. And most importantly, the cupbearer would taste the king's wine before the king drank it, just in case it was poisoned. I mean, he got danger money. I mean, he was, he's probably had a pretty nice house. He probably had like a nice white picket fence. He had it all going. He had his dog and his pool and probably had a couple of holidays each year. And he had a, a sweet uh, full 4K subscription to Netflix and Stan and Stan because you need both, right? You need all of them. I mean, he was living a pretty comfy lifestyle. Nehemiah was like working for the king, even though it was dangerous, but he was living pretty good. And here we come to this point in the story, and we learned that last week from Pastor Nay and Pastor Keith that compassion come upon Nehemiah for the city that was in ruins. I mean, it almost seems as though that he was already feeling for the city. It wasn't like it just come upon him because he asked his brothers. He was like, hey, what's going on in the city? He'd be thinking, he'd be, he'd be churning. The, the city was in his heart. He was thinking about his city, thinking about his people, and he received the bad news and he went into prayer and fasting for like four months. Four months of prayer and fasting. He was, he was upset. He had a conviction for his people that the walls should be rebuilt, that the walls should be restored. And he prayed and he fasted and he plans for a moment and a time where we come to, which is chapter two in Nehemiah. It's like the moment in the movie, like a sports movie, where the, the time on the clock is off and the Mighty Ducks have one point to win the game and it like goes into slow motion and they form into like the flying V. And it's that moment, the tension, the moment where everything hangs on this moment. And this is where we arrive with Nehemiah in chapter two, where we're gonna be this morning. There is a moment here where Nehemiah is like the, the crucial point the part that he needs to get over with the king to allow him to go and build the walls. And we're going to read it here this morning. We're ready. Are we at Nehemiah 2? Nehemiah chapter 2. We good? In the month of Nisan, not Toyota, but Nisan, um, which is actually like March, April, funny enough. We're in, we're in those months or whatever. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. He's like, you're not sick. You don't get a day off. You're just sad. No. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. And then he said, why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins? And its gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, 
And I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judea where my fathers were buried so that I can rebuild it. And then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. I also said to him, he's like, oh, it's going good so far. (laughs) How long is this uh, piece of string? I'm going to keep asking. uh, (laughs) Can I have a car? Can I... uh, can I get a rental car to get to Jerusalem? So I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me with safe conduct until I arrive in Judea. And uh, may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he'll give me some timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residents I will accompany. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, The king granted my requests. How good is that story? It's like a moment, the tension was built where Nehemiah had been planning and preparing for this moment. He'd been intentional. He'd been preparing and planning for this moment. I just watched a movie called Free Solo. I don't know if anyone's heard of it. It's where one of the world's greatest rock climbers decided that they wanted to climb, um, oh, what was it? El Capitan in uh, National, uh, Yosemite National Park in the United States without any ropes. It's like three kilometers high or something like that. I'm probably exaggerating. But it has never been done before. And the rock climbing community were freaked out. And this documentary was incredible because it, it, tra- it tracks about a four-year period where this rock climber is preparing for one moment. He's preparing for a time where he's going to climb this wall and he, and he prepares and it all comes down to this one moment and he has camera crews preparing and everything because he, he was okay with them filming. But they didn't know when he was going to go out and climb the wall. They just had to be ready for when he was ready. He just woke up one morning and decided, I'm going to climb the wall today. And it's a phenomenal, you see him wake up and he goes, I'm ready. I've pre- I'm prepared. I'm ready to climb this wall. And he, you see it, he drives out in the dark, cold. There's no, there's no cheering. There's no fanfare. He gets to the bottom of, of this wall, this gigantic granite wall. And it's just him. Obviously, the camera guys are like scurrying to get there because he decided this is the moment. And as he's in the dark and he just starts climbing and no one's there except himself in that moment. And this is the moment that Nehemiah finds himself in. And I wonder if some of us find ourselves in these moments in our life or that God has ordained or placed moments like this in our life that He has called us to be prepared for because He has called us to be builders like Nehemiah. He has called us to be people who restore, have a heart for the city, have a heart for the house of God, have a heart for the people around us. He has called us to be restorers in the earth. It's in the nature of God. It says in Genesis that the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God hovered over the chaos and the darkness of the formless and void earth of the world. And He began to bring life and begin to form life and humans and and animals. And He brought life to the chaos. And God has also called us to be a people in 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 a world that would bring life to the chaos, that would bring restoration to the places of brokenness around us. God has called us to be restorers. We are the restorers. 
do you remember that time in school when uh, you go to play soccer or you go at lunchtime or recess or touch football, which quickly turned into tackle football? Uh, when the teacher wasn't watching, it'd be like, tackle, tackle, and then people would get really hurt, but it was good. And, but do you remember the time before the game where everyone got picked? You'd stand up in a line, the two best players would be on the two different sides of the teams, and they would pick the players that would be on their team. And usually it's the best players that get picked first, and the worst players get picked last. It's just life, right? And, uh, but I think sometimes, I mean, if you knew you weren't very good, I was always picked last. I couldn't, I mean, look at me, I couldn't tackle anyone. Uh, I tried, and I just got whipped. I mean, I joined the football team once, I got one hit up and then benched, and that was it. I was broken. But I think sometimes... In life, we're sitting around waiting to be picked, waiting to be chosen, waiting for someone to go, yes, you can be on the team. Yes, now you can do something. Now now you can do something for God. Now you are ready. But I'm telling you, we are already picked and chosen. We have already been chosen by God. We have been designed and formed with purpose in mind. God formed you in your mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully made. He created you for now. Now is our moment. We are not, this is not a dress rehearsal. Life is not a dress rehearsal. Now is our moment. Just like Nehemiah, it was his time there and now, ready to do something, ready to see change that went beyond himself, ready to engage in the work that God had prepared and planned for him to be a part of. And he has prepared and planned every single one of us to be part of it right now. Now is game time. Now is it. It is our time now to be work on behalf of the King and see the kingdom of God built. See, I think one of the greatest lies of the enemy that we can believe sometimes is that we don't have what it takes. We read stories like Nehemiah and we go, we don't have the skills. We don't have the position or we don't have the influence. I don't have 10,000 followers on Instagram, so I can't be an influencer and do all these kind of things. Or I don't have the degrees or I don't have the knowledge. And we kind of, we believe the lie from the enemy that says that we are unqualified to do the work of God, to do great things for God upon the earth. And I think sometimes we believe it. And Nehemiah went and built the walls. He, it was, they were big walls. These walls were like 2.5 meters thick, 12 meters high. And there was about a four kilometer stretch that had to be built. He built it with a a construction crew of like 40 different construction crews and they restored the walls in 52 days. That's the equivalent of the width of a soccer pitch per day. 12 meters high, 2.5 meters wide. There's some big walls. And I sometimes think that we can look at our world that we live in and we can go, it's too much of a job. It's too big. There's too much to be done. Those walls are huge. What needs to be done to bring restoration to a broken world, a, a, a dying world, a world that is, that is desperate and crying out for hope? What can I do? What can me, the little me, do? And we believe the lie that says, I can't do it. I can't be part of it. And it's kind of like one of the construction workers saying to Nehemiah, he's like, no, no, you guys, you guys have got the tools. You guys have got the muscles. Look at me. No, I don't have the stuff. You guys go build the walls. I'm going gonna, 
I'm going to build my own wall. I'm just going to, you guys build the important stuff and we think it's too big for us. We believe the lie and we start to build our own wall. And we start brick by brick and it's, you know, it's easy to build our own wall. We can be proud of our own wall. You know, look at my wall. And we build our wall sometimes because we believe the lie that we can't be part of God's bigger plan sometimes. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves isolated and trapped in a wall that we created around ourselves. See, Nehemiah crafted his life to change the world. He didn't craft the world to change his life. Nehemiah didn't build a wall around himself. And all of a sudden, if we build walls around ourselves, we find that it's a bit dark, it's a bit lonely. If we just build our own life, if we just build our own world to keep ourselves comfortable and happy and we're stuck inside this wall that we created and it becomes a bit lonely and we, we kind of wonder, gee. And we start to yell out, hey, I need some help. Get me out of these walls. I'm stuck. God has not called us to build our own walls. God has called us like Nehemiah to get a heart for our city, to feel compassion for the brokenness of the people in our city. I'm telling you, we need to break down some of the walls of comfort that we've built around us so we can start to feel for our city, feel for the people around us. So we can start to feel something for the world around and cry out to God and say, God, I need your heart for my city. I need to feel compassion for the people that are broken and lost. I need to know your heart, God. I need to feel your heart. Come on, let's give God a hand. <laughs> Someone started clapping. <laughs> We need to have a heart for our city. We need to ask God for a heart for our city like Nehemiah. And I love this moment. This moment where Nehemiah has, he's, I can imagine he's, um, the night before, it's like the night before a big test, the night before your first date. Any people have a first date recently? The night before an important event, the night before a test, you're preparing, you're planning. Your life has intention towards the goal. And Nehemiah, he's praying with faith towards this moment. He's preparing. He's actually planning. It's quite interesting how he doesn't mention, uh, he doesn't mention Israelites or Jerusalem. He's actually pretty clever with his words with the king because the king is not to be trifled with. He's a pretty mean king. And uh, Nehemiah was quite clever with his words to get his way. But he took planning and preparation with God. He prepared his heart towards the moment. And I could imagine Nehemiah, the night before, he's practicing his sad face in front of the mirror. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's practicing making sure that, you know, he gets the sadness just right so the king doesn't get suspicious. And, uh, and you know, practicing asking the king and he says to himself, oh, um, I better go to bed early. I've got a big day tomorrow. And so he goes to bed, he gets up early in the morning and uh, he goes down to the bus stop and uh, he's waiting for his bus. He gets on the bus and all his friends on the bus are like, yeah, hey, Nehemiah, Nehemiah's on the bus. And he's like, no, no, not to you guys. I've I got a big day ahead of me. I've got stuff on my mind. And so Nehemiah gets to the palace and it's, it's game time. And it says that he prayed in the moment where he's talking to the king. And it wasn't just that moment. He'd been constantly praying for four months, preparing for this moment. And I wonder if our lives 
could be in constant preparation. Constant preparation with faith and connection to our Father to see restoration in the world around us. And there's two things in the life of Nehemiah. Could I just have the band um, come up at the moment? Yeah, come up, band. There's two aspects in the life of Nehemiah that I want us to just quickly take away this morning. This is prayer and faith. Prayer and faith that defines and marks what Nehemiah did, that we can take away and we can apply to our life that a life of prayer, of receiving the heart of God for the world that we're in right now. This is game time. This is the moment that we're in, that God has called us to. You might be cupbearer to someone. My guess is that every single person in this room has a place next to someone of influence. It could be your neighbor. It could be your coworker. It could be family members. It could be places, high up places in government where people are making big decisions. It could be anything. But my guess is that you are a cupbearer to someone. You have influence in someone's life. You have influence in some aspects of your world. And my question this morning, are you in preparation for the moment that God wants to use you? Have you taken down your wall ready to build the wall that God has called you to build? So Nehemiah lived a life in prayer, getting the perspective from God. I love it because he was bold. He risked everything. He decided, I'm not going to live just to be comfortable, to be fulfilled or whatever that means. No, I'm going to live for the plan of God. In John 4, Jesus goes and talks to the woman at the well and his disciples went to get some food. And the disciples come back and they're like, whoa, whoa, Jesus, where'd you get the food? Because they're like, they could tell that he wasn't, he didn't look hungry. They're like munching on their KFC, munching on their Zinger box. Where'd you get the food, Jesus? What's going on? He says, my, my fill or my food or my fulfillment is to do the will of the Father. It's to do God's work. It's to be part of God's plan. He's like, that's where I get my energy, fulfillment. That's what sustains me. Partnering with the plan of God. And Nehemiah displays faith. Faith and action. It's almost like Nehemiah was going to go ahead and build those walls whether God was with him or not. If you read his prayers, he's like, that's it. I'm going to build those walls. God, are you with me? But he trusted God. He made decisions with complete trust in God. He, faith without works is dead, says in James. And he moved in the direction of his faith to see the walls rebuilt, to see restoration come to the Israelites, to his people. He moved in faith. He did things. He made decisions. He risked his life and his job and his comfort. He lived a life of faith that made a decision to move and live in God's plan. And I love, I love at the end there, he says, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the King granted my requests. It's so bold. It's so bold. It's like I have a King that's greater than any other King. I have an authority source that provides for me more so than the King. 
I hope that enlarges your faith this morning. If you're a uni student, be praying for your uni. Be praying and seeing and asking God, where can I restore the kingdom of God? Where can I bring order and life to the chaotic places in this university? God, how can I intentionally have conversations with people about my faith and not just retreat? How can I engage? If you're a school teacher, there might be things like things happening in the school, like bullying that no, no one's doing anything about. And you see it and you go, God, I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to rebuild and restore those walls. I'm going to see that people are protected and safe. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pray and plan. And I'm going to build a program that sees bullying leave this school. We all have places of influence where we can restore the kingdom of God and bring life to a place of chaos. I mean, we heard just an awesome story a moment ago, how CAP, a ministry, part of this church, part many ministries that are within this family, within this house, that are bringing life and restore, restoration to the people around them. We are part of that story. Your life, you are called to be a restorer. The end of chapter one, Nehemiah says, he says, and I was cupbearer to the king. And I just want us to think of the of that place that we are in right now. Our place of influence. Let us live intentionally in preparation for God to move through us to restore things around us. Let us live with faith and let us live with action. Let's not let our life go by and not see the hand of God work through our lives. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.